welcome to the Townsend Institute podcast series, Tips, a show produced by the Townsend Institute at Concordia University, Irvine. This podcast provides tips into leadership, coaching, and counseling topics aimed at helping listeners grow in both their personal and professional lives. I'm Dr. John Townsend, psychologist, organizational consultant, and author of over 30 books, including the New York Times bestselling Boundaries series. I'm also the founder of the Townsend Institute, and I'm excited to introduce your podcast hosts, Townsend Institute Program Directors, Dr. Ashley Andrew and Dr. Gilbert Fugit. On today's episode of the Townsend Institute podcast series, Gilbert and I sit down with Dr. Dina Shelton, a licensed professional counselor with experience in clinical, educational, and nonprofit settings. Dina has served Concordia for over four years as a core faculty member and even a stint as interim director of our counseling programs. We are excited to chat with Dina in her final days at Concordia as she prepares to transition to a new role at her alma mater, a role a little closer to her Texas home. That's right, Ashley. We will sure miss Dina and all she's poured into our students and staff over the years. But if you're a parent or even just an adult in the life of a teen or child, this episode is for you. In this one, Dina shares how reading the Boundaries book at just 18 years old changed the trajectory of her life and career. So tune in as Dina shares with us the importance of and even tips for better attuning to the children in our lives, the need for healthy and humble adults, and finally, her important takeaway tip we all need to remember. Let's get started. All right. Good afternoon, Dina. Thank you so much for joining Gilbert and I today. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Well, we are excited to jump right into it and and get started on this important discussion that I know is going to be near and dear to the hearts of our listeners, and that has to do with counseling and specifically one of your niches in counseling. So start off by telling us what sparked your interest in counseling parents and caregivers about their relationships with their children and teens? Yeah, I'd love to answer that. I actually went in, my bachelor's degree is in psychology, and I went to a research-based program um, and wasn't sure what I was going to do with that as I was doing my undergrad education. I actually came from, I grew up in northeastern Mississippi in a low-income area of the country and in a low-income family myself. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. And uh, went to college not really knowing how to plan out my own career, my own life, and um, was taking it a day at a time. I just knew, honestly, I really just knew I needed to study people or I was going to be bored for the rest of my life. That was pretty much what made me study psychology. When I got to um, the university that I went to and began to study psychology, I actually read Boundaries by John Townsend when I was 18. Um, And it was a game changer for me. I'd grown up in a part of the country and in a culture, kind of a subculture of the United States where boundaries are not uh, celebrated in general, um, deep south and in um, a lower income setting. And boundaries get really tricky. And so when I was 18 and trying to figure out life as a young adult, I had moved pretty far away at that time and was trying to reroute my life. Boundaries became a really important part of that. And I just was amazed. I read boundaries and I thought, oh my gosh, it's just like any other type of math or anything else. Like you just do these things and everything works differently. And all, I mean, when you are able to have boundaries, relationships just go differently. And I was so confused as to why this wasn't something everyone was talking about all the time. And that really started my trajectory into counseling in general. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up in a 
family system that wasn't um, overall healthy. Um, there were lots of struggles and um, I watched that growing up. I knew a lot of what I didn't want, but my my parents, even doing the best that they could, weren't really sure how to navigate that, didn't have the resources or help and even external resources weren't that great. So I had a passion for families and really wanting to see families healthy anyway. So it moved me in the direction of couples and families training and working with families. Um, and then over the course of the time that I have been practicing when I was educated and practicing really comes down a lot to parent work and kids, obviously kids have issues and situations. So I'm not saying that there are not situations where kids don't need their own counselor, don't need their own counseling. But I'll tell you, even in my personal life, my I have two children, they're both teenagers. And the majority of times when our house feels like everything is stressful and somebody needs help, if I go to counseling, stuff gets a lot better. Um, and so that is an, a place that I have worked from my whole adult life of really looking at rearranging and redoing the learning that we all did in our family systems and in our um, growing up to be able to grow these kids up well. Wow, Dina, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I think that's amazing at 18 you read boundaries. I mean, that that's a big that's a big step. I don't I don't think I was smart enough at 18 to do that. So good. Well, for someone you. suggested it to me. So maybe it was because they were so clearly an issue. Let's not give me too much credit. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, you don't have any issues, Dina. Never, never. So so but talking about your research and clinical work, what do you find some are the biggest issues and challenges parents or caregivers uh, face when they're raising the kids and, and teenagers today? This is one of those really difficult questions because I could give you a laundry list of issues. And truthfully, the biggest issue that parents or caregivers are facing are the ones that are in front of them. And that differs person to person. And so if I had to really go global and say, what's the biggest problem? In all honesty, I think a lot of it, this may surprise people, but is a lack of humility and this need to be certain that we can do things right. Um, we have kind of a pervasive cultural belief that if we just learn enough, just study enough, read the right things and do the right things that we'll get a specific kind of outcome. And that is not how humans work. It's not how raising kids works. And so anytime we're facing issues with our children or we're worried about things, our kids are in the middle of things and they're struggling. If we go into this mode that we attack all other non-human problems with, of why does she need to know the right things and incorporate the right things and make the right rules and do the right things and everything will balance out on the other side, we're setting everybody up for failure because it's not how it works. It's developmental and it's a process-based and we just kind of want to be outcomes-based. Now, I could give you a laundry list and I could really harp on technology and exposure and access to early technology as one of the biggest threats that I think right now and one of the biggest open doors for all these issues that could come up. But in terms of an overarching issue, I would say this desire and need to be able to figure it all out and think that there are absolutely correct answers that we can get certain outcomes for our children. It's just not a thing. And so, Dina, when I'm thinking about that, I mean, it sounds a little bit like the perfectionism, right? I mean, people are dealing with there has to be perfectionism, which the Townsend model, when we get into that, it's a little bit like integration, right? Holding the tension between the good and the bad. You know, if I'm not 100% right, then it has to be 100% wrong. Or, or do you see, so that, is that some of the struggles you're seeing? Yeah. And some people would say it, it's all the same thing to me. I think it's all touching the same things, perfectionism. A lot of people would go, oh, no, no, but I'm not a perfectionist. But what I find a lot of times the same vein is this need for certainty. 
this need that I can know or that I can find the answer. And quite frankly, there are some things that we just can't, especially when it's somebody else's story in life, right? And somebody else's experience, even if they're our own children. We can't know every single thing about what's going on. And sometimes they don't even know. And so, yeah, I think that it it is um, very much goes into overarching immigration issues related to just the settling in that things are not going to go in a you know consistent upward trajectory of life for any of us. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you how comforting as a parent, Dina, that is to hear as someone who struggles with some of these things on a daily basis as well. And and what you mentioned in addition to what Gilbert just said about integration, but like you said, just that need for more humility and also from a biblical standpoint, grace, right? Grace yes. for ourselves as parents and for our children. Yes. It being a big key. And we don't teach our kids things like grace for yourself. We don't teach our kids grace for themselves by having grace for them. When we have grace for them, we teach them how to have grace for others. We actually model grace for ourselves by giving grace to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then that shows them how to do the same thing. They can't learn it by receiving it from someone else. They have to see it modeled in that way. That's great. That's a great, great recommendation. Um, so others, for for those of our listeners who are struggling or perhaps they simply just want to improve their relationship with their mm-hmm. child, where should they start? Yeah, I think it's funny you said for our listeners, because listening is probably how it would start it out. And that can be really um, difficult with kids um, because kids are all over the place in case you haven't noticed. And they're they change uh, on a, bit, a dime. A and, yep. you know, you can go, I've got your favorite thing. Like, I hate that now. Um, it's part of it's part of the thing. But listening, it's not just about trying to open your ears and make your kids talk because you can listen without thinking about teenagers. Right. Younger kids oftentimes are more than happy to talk your ear off and tell you everything multiple times. Um, But if it's people who are struggling and trying to improve relationships, it's because it feels a little rocky, right? And so the listening piece doesn't necessarily mean you sit your kid down and go, you're going to talk to me and I'm just going to listen to you. It's picking up and listening, not just to what they say, but to what they're not saying, to their um, demeanors, to their presence. And it's, it's a tuning more than listening, right? And tuning into what's going on with your kids and connecting deeply to what their experiences are. And then asking the right kinds of questions. Like if, if I want to know how to improve my relationship with my kids, I can ask them that. I may not, the answers may be a little bit bristly for me. It may be hard to take in and I need to be prepared to just take it in and not give a response or not tell them why they're wrong to just take it in as information they're sharing, but they'll tell you. What would make you feel closer to me right now? I feel like there is space between us. What is it that is space between us? And with teenagers, sometimes it's, you know, I don't know or nothing or, you know, they'll they'll push back on it. But even in that space, you've left them with having to retain some responsibility for the relationship too. That if they're pushing you away and you're asking that they can't just say, we're going to even try, right? And then you have to be able to settle in. And tolerate the ambiguity of the process and let it be if there's not something that's happening and allow the process to work too. You have to quit rushing to certainty and trying to put everything in place, make it all right immediately. Because just is not it's not realistic. That's a great recommendation and a great model. But before we move on to another question here, can you give our listeners, for those that might not be familiar with our Townsend Institute and the model and all the amazing mm-hmm. training you and your colleagues do in our program? 
can you give us a short definition of attuning? You mentioned attuning, and I think that's key. And it's not necessarily a part of everyone's vocabulary. You're right. It isn't. And that is something that I oftentimes spend a lot of time with parents on. It's some of the work that I do is how do you tune into another person? Because that's really a good way to describe it. Attunement is our ability to tune in to what's happening. We can be around someone. We can be hearing what's going on with someone. We can even be listening to someone without attuning to them. Attunement is when my entire internal process and I have the ability to collect what's happening inside of me and collect my focus and attention and put it on one thing. So I'm not distracted. I'm not checking on everything else. I'm not running lists in the back of my mind. I'm not trying to push something somewhere else. I'm not trying to get a certain answer out of my kid. I just am present and I'm able to to put all of my focus and attention intentionally on another person so I can take in all of the signals and all of the information they're sending me, verbal, nonverbal, body, um, language. When you do this and you practice this, it's the type of thing that we really hone in. For counselors, we get really, really good at tuning into others. We can see depth of things that others even practice may not. I can tell when feelings come and go in a client that I've been seeing for a while without them ever barely moving because I have tuned in and I know what they what they look like and do. We don't get that um, even that in depth with our children all the time. But when you really tune in that way, you notice things that you don't notice otherwise. You can take in information and connect and the person on the other side feels it. A really good example that I like to give If you've ever known someone who you would say, you know what, when I'm talking to that person, they make you, they make me feel like I'm the only person in the room. That is someone who's good at attunement. I'm sorry, Dina, I missed that. I wasn't paying attention. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, that that was, yeah, no, that, that's a great uh, definition of attunement and how critical it is, especially in a teenager's life, because, you know, they may feel like, oh my goodness, nobody understands me. Nobody's early there. Um, for me, um, what what can you share maybe about the importance of having active and supportive adults in a child's life, teenager's life? Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so important, and that starts with parents. And I'll tag on to the attunement piece too. I always like I'm known with students for saying, "Don't make it weird with clients or anybody else." Do you think like attuning to your teenagers is so important? But if you put them down, you're like, I'm just going to attune to you right now. And you start making it weird. They're not going to play. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. If somebody did that to me, I'd be like, I'm out. Sorry. Right. Um, I think that's so a great it's, quote. Don't make it weird. Right. Don't make it weird. Make it's it weird. really not that difficult. Just don't make it weird. Yeah. Um, and so when when we think about this process of, of being in a space for teens, teens need more than just their parents. We, we know this. But so do all kids. Um, the importance of active and supportive adults, plural, in people's lives are vital. Not, I mean, parent attunement, parent engagement, so important. But the truth is, is that we live in a real world. I don't sit, even doing what I do and explaining this today, I could start listing off how many times I've misattuned or not attuned at all in the last week with my own children. We're, we are, when we're in a family unit, we're building a life together. That takes a lot of activity. We're not just sitting around attuning and and counseling people. We're building lives and careers and cultivating gifts and talents and the things that God has given our kids too. So we have all of these different roles, not just attuning. 
So when I talk about supportive adults, of course, parents is the default in that, but non-parent adults in a kid's life are so vital and valuable because they don't have the same stock, right? I am, I am, I do want to attune to my children. I want to listen to my children. I want to connect with them. I am also responsible for how they turn out as human adults in the world. That's on me which comes with a lot of brick walling of, listen, you may think that you have control in this area, but this is a hard stop for you. And when that is happening, they need other people to be able to go, yeah, that sucks. Mm, It's a hard thing to be dealing with. And just be able to connect without being the person in charge of holding the line and the boundary. Teenagers need tight lines and boundaries sometimes. And they can't always connect with the person who's holding the line on it. They don't want to. Neither do we as adults. It's part of the adulting that happens as they're turning into teenagers. Um, And so these non-parent adults and people, it can be, you know, church leaders. It can be teachers, coaches. It can be friends, your friends who have kids, too, and playing those roles in each other's lives. It can be, um, you know, older mentors, college students that maybe you're mentoring and then are mentoring your kids, too. There are an unlimited amount. It can also be other adult family members, older cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents even, that play these roles to help balance it out. There's not only one way to do it well. And thank God we're not limited to just certain roles that can play these. Anyone can step in and be that for another kid. That's so great, Dina. And that's such a good reminder because I think when you're in the thick of it with your own kids, you sometimes get those kind of blinders on thinking, okay, this is what's in front of me. This is what's in my household. But at the same time, really having that that trust and those broader relationships to help, right? We we hear that mm-hmm. that saying all the time that it takes a village. And I think this is one of those examples. And very true. When I think about my upbringing, when I think of influential adults in my life, Certainly parents and grandparents are up there, but man, I had some really great coaches growing up, teachers, youth group leaders that really shaped who I am. So that's really motivating. And it gives us this picture, I think, in Galatians when it says, bear one another's burdens, and this is how you fulfill the law of Christ. I think about this in terms of our responsibility as parents. We often say that we want to do this and we we talk about those types of verses, like, well, I want to help people any way that I can. I'm tell you, asking for help or helping as a parent gets really tricky really quickly. And it can feel really uneasy and difficult to navigate because asking for help and saying, I don't know how to get through to my kid right now is exposing for us. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to eliminate that. That's that thing that I go back to uncertainty and the need to be able to figure it out ourselves. Let's just ditch that because that's not a thing at all, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to say to friends, I don't, can somebody else talk to my kid? Can someone else take a shot at this because I don't think I'm getting through to him or her and I'm concerned about what's going on and being willing to reach out that bearing each other's burdens. If we aren't sharing ours, others can't bear that also keeps us fulfilling the law of Christ. If we're not doing the sharing side and asking for people to bear with us and then turning around offering too and saying, um, Hey, can I take the kid out for brunch? Or can I go grab your kid, take them out to dinner? And I know stuff is going on. You know, maybe they want to talk to me, maybe they don't. But maybe I can just take them out for a bit and try to connect. Even if it doesn't work, just the shot. I mean, we are, you're right. It takes a village. We got to be a village if it's going to happen, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes back to the piece you were mentioning earlier about the humility. 
Mm -hmm. right? And and asking for help when necessary and um, all part of being the body of Christ as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. What other ways has faith influenced your counseling about kids or teens or even your own parenting journey? Yeah. um, I mean, it's everything with my own parenting journey. I'm personally, I'm not sure how people do this without that knowledge and connection to to this, to a constant flow of grace and truth from somewhere else. I don't have enough for myself anyway, nor anybody else, my kids or anyone else on my own. I don't have enough um, of it. So being able to receive that first is so important to me. But the piece on counseling, I think a lot of times this, this starts to tread into the territory of what does it mean to be a Christian counselor? And people will define that differently in the profession. But as clinical mental health professionals, our program at Concordia is CAPRF accredited. And we're training clinical mental health professionals, clinical mental health counselors, people who are trained to do clinical work through a Christian and biblical lens. And so when you hear biblical or Christian counseling, sometimes that means not licensed, not clinical, or more of an approach that only uses scripture as the way to communicate with people. That's not what we're talking about. In, and that's not how we teach at Concordia. And so the way that I like to frame it to students as they're coming in to get this clinical training, our clients, the people that I help and work with, with their teams, kids, whomever, their families, they are from a wide variety of backgrounds, wide variety of beliefs. And I'll tell you, many of the families that I see who are struggling with their own system have also been hurt and struggled themselves in churches. And so even if they are a faith, it can sometimes be part of the problem and part of the hurt and concern. And what I love about my faith and the influence it has on my counseling is that I feel like my faith is a place that I work from. It's not I'm not doing work with other people to prove something in my in my faith experience. Um, I in my I didn't do anything to earn the grace that I have anyway. So nothing that I do from here on out is going to make me in a better standing of that. And so that takes the pressure off of me. The fact that I've been able to connect to Christ gives me a life source and a source of love and kindness and all of the fruits of the spirit that are listed in scripture, right? Peace, patience, goodness, self-control. I get to bring these into the work that I do and offer them to others and offer practical skills just because we have the Holy Spirit honestly doesn't make us good at self-control, right? There are skills for that. And so I can offer those skills and connect in that place that we all need, even if they're not aware of the lens that I'm doing it from. So, so my faith is a place that I work from and I get to bring that into the work that I do um, and to provide that regardless of whether they're making a faith connection or not, or if that's an important piece for them, it's all practical and it's all serving the same purpose that I feel like is offered in my faith. And that is making us more whole and more right and bringing more sanctification into relationships altogether and healing those. Yeah. And Dina, that that's so powerful because think about so many teenagers. I mean, that's sometimes they abandon the church at this point, right? I mean, they, they kind of stop going or they're not as active. And so to, to be able to bring your faith in, uh, you know, however you can, uh, it can be so powerful. But I want to ask you a little bit because you kind of know a little bit about this podcasting world. And so tell us a little bit about your remodel parenting podcast. And I think it has over a hundred episodes already. I mean, my that, that makes me tired just thinking about it. That is a lot of episodes. Wow, Dina. Yeah. It it does. I do have a podcast. It's called Remodel Parenting and they're shorter episodes. So 
typically a few of them get on closer to about a half an hour, um, but most of them are under 20 minutes um, and they're broken down into more digestible pieces. I record those to really be more um, in a block that can be, um, you know, listen to on a kid's nap or uh, on a quick trip, you know, on errands or something like that uh, to make it more manageable. But it's really practical um, teaching and information geared towards helping parents rethink the way that they're approaching things. So for instance, there's a series on technology mm-hmm. and kids. There's a series on forgiveness. There's a series on communication with really clear communication skills and how do you practice the types of skills that I teach in sessions and work with in real time with um, couples and families in sessions. And I provide that on there too, because a lot of it is about building us as parents and remodeling the way that we think about things so that it comes out of us and to our kids. Um, There are a little over a hundred episodes. They are still tracking. I have not posted. I've been on a break for a while. Um, I have teenagers. So sometimes, you know, life happens and um, I've been on a break. I haven't put out episodes in a while. I plan to start back up this fall with releasing some more episodes. Um, But everything that is there is available to listen to and and download and stream. It still gets, gets a pretty good bit of traction. And those tend to be recycled because they are easy to listen to. Um, But everything is real practical. I am a feet on the grounds. I was trained at a STEM school. And so everything that we, you know, I was cut my teeth on, if you can't apply it, what's the point? And so everything in those episodes are really geared towards what can you do with this on the ground with your kids? How does this change? It's not just good ideas and information. It's really practical steps and ways to implement it with your family. 100%. I can definitely affirm that as someone who has listened to a number of these episodes on Dina's podcast, I can tell you they are, are rooted and grounded a lot of times in her educational and clinical expertise, but they're spoken and delivered from someone who clearly is a parent. So you get the best of both worlds. It's practical, but it also is is rooted uh, in even more than that. So um, if you haven't done so already, definitely take a listen to the Remodel Parenting Podcast. Um, Dina, you've been just such a wealth of knowledge to all of us here, and we appreciate the time that you've spent talking with us a little bit about the importance of, of counseling and how to counsel and listen and attune to our children and teens. Um, as we end every episode of the Townsend Institute podcast series, what would be one takeaway tip you have for our listeners today? What I would say is probably one of my best tips I give to all parents is to is to relax a bit, which is hard because oftentimes people are are trying to figure out what to do when things are going wrong. And that makes us concerned and nervous. It makes us dysregulate on the inside. But our ability to stay grounded and connected, to know and trust that we have the ability to navigate resources and we don't have to get angsty and compulsive about it just because things aren't going right. That is what sets the tone for us to to actually fix and adjust things with our kids, to provide them with the ability to to approach problems without those um kind of dysregulated and again, compulsive ways of I've got to figure it out now, or this can't be a problem. I can't even believe this is happening, but to settle in and tune in and to make sure that you're doing your own work. If you are not doing your own work, if you're not becoming a healthier person, if you're not addressing how you're approaching things, it does not matter what tools you have. It does not matter what you know. It does not matter how much education you have. Trust me, it doesn't matter how much you know about it. If you're not 
approaching it from a place of health and humility, it's not going to go. It just isn't. And so it's this paradoxical component of being able to settle in with this humility and grace for self in this process and know that this is the process um, and that no amount of trying to predict and control is going to make this go any better. You know, Dina, I love that, the relaxed part and the health and humility, because on social media, it makes it look like everybody I know has had the perfect summer, summer vacations. (laughs) All their kids, they skip around and just talk about how much they love their parents constantly. And so um, it's good to know that we can approach it this way. Um, what a great tip. Relax. Because if yeah, you know, the, the whole online visual thing, that's my other pro tip for parenting. That's actually my most foundational one is anybody who tells you, listen, you got issues with kids. This is what you have to do immediately stop listening to them because if someone tells you that they have it figured out they're lying (laughs) and none of us have it no matter how much long we've been doing this how many other people we help it does not translate the same way and anyone who is so sure that they've got the formula i can promise you doesn't and that is everybody on social media if they're trying to tell everybody else how to parent that's a no-go this is true i i thought i had (laughs) my wife and i thought we had it figured out till we had our second kid and then she she blew that theory out of the water. So mm-hmm. there you go with sleep and stuff. So, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Dina, so much. We appreciate the time and, and all that you continue to pour into, not just the students, but all of us here too at Concordia University. So thank you so much. Special thanks to Gadessa Labawa, CY alumni, for the Tips Podcast Music. If you enjoy the Townsend Institute podcast series, head to our website, cuiedu slash Townsend. To find out more about the certificates or bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degrees offered through Concordia University, Irvine. With programs in organizational psychology, mental health counseling, executive coaching, consulting, and organizational leadership, we have a variety of faith-based programs dedicated to helping you fulfill your academic and professional goals, all while further developing your competence and character. Again, that's cui.edu slash Townsend.